The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, Gabby here. This podcast is intended to educate, inspire, and support you on your personal journey towards inner peace. I'm not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. I talk about meditation all the time on this podcast. It's one of my go-to practices for calming my mind, releasing fear, just strengthening my faith and relaxing my nervous system. I meditate every single day. It is a non-negotiable for me. I talk about it a lot, but I also want to make sure that I am encouraging you to not just think about it or dabble in meditation, but to have practices that can help you get into a daily ritual of meditating. And that's why I'm going to give you two of my favorite guided meditations. These meditations I designed to help you amplify your attracting power and release stress so that you can be in full alignment with the energy of the universe, feel a strength within yourself, and most importantly, feel at peace inside. So you can get access to these two free meditations when you go to deargabby.com slash free meditations. That's deargabby.com slash free meditations. Hey there, welcome to Dear Gabby. I'm your host, Gabby Bernstein. And if you landed here, it is absolutely no accident. It means that you're ready to feel good and manifest a life beyond your wildest dreams. Let's get started. Welcome back. Welcome back to Dear Gabby. So happy you're here, my friends. Yesterday, I was at my regular weekly workout with my mom friends. I have some really cool mom friends up in the country. And so we're all working out and talking about our kids and talking about the latest struggles, being a parent and all the things that moms do when we get together. Uh, Yes, we talk about fashion and exercise too, but we're really talking about the kids. And I have this big brag when I hang out with my mom friends. And the brag is that I have Dr. Becky on speed dial. Yep, that's right. She is the clinical psychologist and the number one New York Times bestselling author of Good Inside, 
a guide to becoming the parent you want to be. And it's my big mom brag that I can just text Dr. Becky and ask her for some advice. So because not all of you can have Dr. Becky on speed dial, I'm bringing her to you here on the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to show up for our kids and ourselves with more love and more energy and more patience. By practicing these principles that she has taught me, I have completely transformed my relationship with my son, Oliver. It is a transformation that will change him forever. Every single day I wake up and I recognize and accept that I am responsible for helping a human function in the world. And by seeing him in that way and recognizing all of the goodness inside of him, I can show up for him with a beautiful energy of presence a respect for his feelings, and help direct his life in a way that will be impactful for him and for the world. And I want that for all of you and all of your children. I want parenting to be easier, and I want it to be thoughtful, and I want you to feel like you're accomplishing something every single day that you wake up and hug your child. So in today's episode, you are going to hear from Dr. Becky, and you're going to learn all about her good inside approach and the methods that are going to benefit not only your relationships with your children, but with all of your relationships. And there's so many ways that we unconsciously shame our children. We're going to learn the shame detector. And we're also going to really learn how to help our child be themselves and see themselves in that light of their greatness and their goodness. Here's the deal, my friends. There's no such thing as being a perfect parent because that's not actually going to benefit your kids. So listen to today's episode to learn how your imperfection is actually going to be the greatest gift you give them. And when you're finished with this episode, go back and listen to the previous episodes with Dr. Becky, episodes 61 and 80. She is going to be a staple on this show because I want to preach her gospel all throughout the world and help people support themselves and their children. That's how we change the world, my friends. Enjoy this episode. One of my greatest credentials is that I have Dr. Becky on speed dial. <laughs> so you all can be quite jealous tonight. <laughs> it's awesome to be here with you. I am proud of you. I'm a friend to you, but I'm also a devoted reader, fan, listener. I just don't know what I would do without you. So congratulations. Everybody got your books in your hands? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to kick it off with why the good inside philosophy is working so well, so popular, so widely supported online. How did this come to be and why? Thank you. Gabby's been such a mentor and friend to me through this journey. So I just want to say thank you. <laughs> so good inside. I think one of the reasons it's caught fire, that's the phrase that always comes to mind, is I think for a really long time, we've only been fed models of parenting. And it sounds funny, but are just about our kids, right? And it's like, do this and do this and do this. And I know as a parent, it's like, one more thing for my kid. My whole life can become about my kid. And I really feel like good inside and this approach and everything in this book is really like an initiation into something totally different. It's to a model of parenting that is as much about self-development as it is about child development. And then I think there's a synergy because we can't show up and parent our kids the way we want to parent them if we aren't reparenting or rewiring the things in ourselves that probably for decades have been calling for our attention. 
And now that we have kids, we just can't ignore. And I think that especially during the pandemic, even now, right? The idea that, wait, at once I can work on feeling sturdier myself and helping my kids. Parents are the busiest people in the world. So if there's something efficient we can do with our time, it's going to catch fire. And then the other thing, and it relates to even the term good inside and why it's the book and the podcast and the platform and everything we do, is I never remember being told as a psychologist in training, hey, use these methods when you work with parents because kids are bad inside. And so you have to do these things, right? Nobody said that. But I firmly believe that the opposite of control is trust. And so we only control things or people we don't trust. And so all of these ideas around punishment, around sticker charts, around timeouts, they're methods of behavioral control. And so I really feel like the underpinnings of those methods must be, I don't trust kids. I could cry saying that. I don't trust that there might be something good in them. So you have to just shape them and control them. And I think we like know in our hearts that's not true. I think probably a lot of us know in our hearts, we remember times people saw us that way and that just felt the worst. And so I also think that there's a different model where it's not permissive and nothing about it. I think we all know it's soft, but it really does come from the idea that our kids are good. They're trying, they're struggling, they're needing our help. I think it just intuitively resonates with what we know. Boom. Thank you. (laughs) We're all kind of crying. And that's the kind of light evening we're going to have tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're talking about punishment and reward, I have an idea of what's so wrong about that, but I want to hear it from you, Dr. Becky. Okay. So the thing that drives me the most is practicality. I'm a very practical person. And so there's a couple of things I think about punishment or timeouts that I just find impractical. So whatever it is, my kid hit their sister, or maybe it's my older kid lied to me about stealing money, okay? There's the bad behavior. And if we think about timeline, something led to that bad behavior. There was an antecedent. Whatever you want to say it is, something happened before. And a punishment happens after, right? Go to your room or no TV for a week or whatever it is, happens after. The idea, simply in a practical way, that we could change behavior by focusing on the thing that comes after behavior, I don't even understand the logic of that because I know for myself, when I'm struggling, it's never, wait, Becky, if I yell at my kid, I'm going to feel guilty. And so in this moment, I'm not going to yell. If I yell at my kid, someone's going to take away TV from me, so I'm not going to yell. I don't think anybody has the mindfulness in that moment. We act in the way we do because it comes from reactivity, because we actually have a collapse in that moment of any mindfulness and intention. So the idea that in a moment of reactivity, I'm going to make a change from being mindful of something that comes after, oh, I don't want that punishment, it just doesn't make any sense. What does make sense to me is if there's an antecedent, so something came before the behavior, oh, well, then wouldn't we change behavior by helping our kids show up differently next time so that whatever happens before the behavior is changed, then the behavior is going to be less likely to happen. So if there's a moment of reactivity, my kid hit their sister, I don't know, they're jealous, they're frustrated. What if my kid showed up next time with a skill to manage frustration? 
what if my kid showed up next time with a body memory, knowing it's okay to feel jealous of siblings, that's normal. Then the next time they feel frustrated and jealous, they actually have a different kind of circuitry in their body. That leads to really meaningful change. I think the other thing from like a less practical sense is of all my years in private practice, I've never had someone come to me saying, I have found punishment, shame, consequences to be really helpful for me. And so as we work through the things I'm here, if you could do those things for me, I just know it's a system that has really helped me show up as the person I want to be. It's never worked. And when we shame our kids, when we give them consequences, we only further their identity as the bad kid. Mm. We are saying to them, you're in the bad kid role. And we can't reinforce the bad kid role and expect our kid to develop a different identity as a good kid. Plus, the whole thing just ends up feeling bad. I also never had a parent who came to my practice and said, I love giving timeouts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. It makes me feel so good. I love taking away TV from my kid for a week. That doesn't even help us. It's the worst thing for a parent to do that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the only one who suffers is us. And we're like, why did I say that, right? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't actually make logical sense. It doesn't have any history in terms of being effective. And there's a better, more effective way that also feels right. Yeah, definitely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was talking to my therapist yesterday and we were kind of just looking back at the decade of therapy that we've been working on together and looking at how all of these years that we've put into my mental health and how it's all really paid off. We also celebrated a lot of the miracles along the way, the miracles of the shifts, the miracles of of staying sober, the miracles of healing trauma, the miracles of just continuing to show up for myself one day at a time. And it was really such a good feeling to just know that I had this person by my side supporting me every step of the way for over a decade now. I really believe that we can have all the personal growth tools in the world, but it's extremely empowering to have a therapist to help guide you and support you, and keep you consistent, and keep you committed, and to be a safe place for you to reveal truths about yourself that may not feel safe to share anywhere else. And that's why I love BetterHelp Therapy. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online service. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, and it's affordable. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Gabby. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gabby. A few weeks ago, I had my friend Shervin on the podcast. He's the founder of Symbiotica. That was episode 113. I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. And the reason I had him on the show was because I had become personally obsessed with his product, Symbiotica. It is my go-to supplement product for getting all of my nutritional needs met and trusting that I'm actually absorbing the nutrients. 
Most importantly, in this episode, I shared one of the solutions that's been really valuable for me and my overall well-being, and that is his product, Symbiotica. It's a health supplement company. They've designed extremely sophisticated formulations that are scientifically proven to increase vitality and longevity and fill those nutritional gaps. Symbiotica's liposomal magnesium L3 and 8 was developed by a team of scientists at MIT. This magnesium product is the one that I swear by and live by because magnesium is really essential in our diet, and so many people are deficient in magnesium. Their liposomal vitamin C is a must-have in my diet right now because it keeps me from picking up all those little toddler colds and staying healthy in this time. They also have a super amazing super greens formula for those of you who want that boost of daily nutrition. They have a super convenient and easy online quiz that will help you figure out the best supplements for your specific goals. And because you're a listener of the show, I'm going to hook you up with a discount. Use code GABBY on symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your custom bundle and get up to 45% off. Code applies on top of custom bundle discount. This is just a question for a friend. (laughs) So there's folks in our life that will watch us from the outside, in-laws, and they will be observing our good inside behavior because we believe in it, we're loving it, it's working. But they think that we are just submissive, that we're not doing enough discipline, dot, dot, dot. How would one fix that problem? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody with me? (laughs) Okay. Yes. I think there's a couple levels there. Number one, and this is a question I get a lot. I respect skepticism so much. I feel like people who are skeptical of, let's say, it's the good inside approach, that just tells me they're a parent or a grandparent who cares. They're invested in a certain future, right? I think that's why people are skeptical. They're worried. They know what they want and they want to make sure they're on a pathway to get there. So I respect skepticism and I think it sits very close to curiosity, which is my favorite trait of all. So what I hear a lot is I feel like I'm letting them off the hook. So my kid just hit his sister. My kid just said to me, I hate you. And I'm not punishing them. I'm not sending them to their room. I don't want to let them off the hook here. And I don't want them to think that I think it's okay. Okay, so a couple things in terms of letting them off the hook. We as an animal species are actually biologically unable to change when we feel shame. It's why it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's called like shame detection. Being a shame detective as a parent is so critical because as soon as we see shame, we have to have a different approach because what shame really is, in my opinion, is it's the experience of this part of me that I'm in, this feeling, this action, this part is bad. It is unconnectable. It is non-conducive with attachment. It is unlovable. And when we feel that way about ourselves, kids and adults, our body literally shuts down. It has to use all of our energy to try to survive because feeling bad inside is truly an existential threat because if kids need others to survive— kids need parents to give them attachment, then in a moment they feel unlovable and unattachable, their actual survival is at risk. So when they have shame, they freeze. This is why, and we've all had these moments, me too, with my real kids all the time, when I'm like, are you hearing me? Why aren't you responding to me? Why did you yell at your sister? Why? Why? And they look like they're not responding. Like You don't even respect me. They're not responding to you. They are frozen. We know fight or flight are animal defense states. They are. 
But submit, play dead, and freeze are three other animal defense states that just don't get as much media attention, right? And so when your kid is in a state of shame, they are frozen. So let's get back to letting my kid off the hook. If shame brings on a freeze state, freeze is the opposite of movement, and movement is how we change. In my mind, if you want to let your kid off the hook for change, if we want to let ourselves off the hook for change, yelling and punishment are the best ways to let someone off the hook because you are literally making their body freeze and you're making it impossible for them to incorporate new information and change. If you want to leave someone on the hook for change, then actually differentiating their behavior, what they did, from their identity, who they are, and even further differentiating, yeah, I'm not going to let you hit. Of course, that's not a good behavior. But that's something that someone has an action versus my kid is still a good kid. My kid is a good kid who's having a hard time. They need my help. And if I want to leave them on the hook for change, then separating those two things allows them to find their feet and actually is the single thing that allows them to incorporate new information and to make change. So I call major bull on the letting them off the hook idea. And the second part that I would say is that we need to know these things and learn to trust these things in ourselves because it's a losing battle to try to convince people who don't actually want to hear other things that we're right, right? So for example, when someone says to you, you're going to let him get away with that. First of all, that is not a question. I think this is a powerful lesson way beyond parenting and way beyond in-laws. Questions are questions when someone asks you a question and they legitimately don't know the answer and are willing to hear a range of answers. Mm. That's a question. Mm -hmm. A judgmental sentence that has inflection and a question mark is a judgmental sentence with a question mark added at the end to try to avoid taking responsibility for showing judgment. So if someone said to me, who knows in the moment? None of this is easy in the moment. But I think an appropriate response to like, are you going to let him get away with that? Or someone shared this with me recently. Your son's going to end up going to jail if you don't end up punishing him at like Thanksgiving or something. And I was like, whoa. I think the appropriate response isn't even explaining all this. It's, hey, you're noticing I'm doing things differently than you do. You were right to notice that. I'm actually really open to having a conversation about that if you want. If that's not what you're looking for, then I'm happy also just to agree that, yes, we do things differently. Mm. Right. And to call that out is such a sturdy moment because it reminds us, and this is so at the core of the book, that like we are our sturdy leaders. We are the pilot of our family plane. And we didn't used to be. And it's confusing when we're with family of origin because they used to be the pilot. And it's empowering to be like, whoa, whoa, I have my own plane now. I do. Right. And they could be on the plane during a Thanksgiving dinner, but they don't get to come to the cockpit and tell you what to do. Right. And so that's how I'd answer both sides of that. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you. I needed that. Thank you. That was beautiful. <laughs> and let's talk about boundaries with kids because mm. I have a four-year-old, just so everyone's aware. I'm in it. <laughs> I can see in his whole system that when there's a boundary that's set and committed to, that even if he'll freak out, he really does want it. And I want to hear more about that. Yes. Boundaries to me are a part of a parent's job. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about family jobs and get into boundaries since it's part of it. Yeah. So I've always thought if I showed up to an office and I had a new job 
And my boss or the person who hired me was like, have a great day. Do your job well. And at the end of the day, they were like, did you do your job well? And I didn't have a job description. I'd be like, how can I do a job well if I don't know what my job is? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what that person at that desk is supposed to be doing. You can't do a job well if you don't have clearly defined roles and responsibilities. That's true in any system. And so it's really critical to think about the family system that way. Because the best feeling in the world becomes like having clarity in a situation about what my job is and knowing what it is. Maybe my kid's still tantruming, but that clarity is what brings sturdiness. So in my mind, parents have three main jobs and they're very interrelated. So it's boundaries, it's validation and empathy. So let's start with boundaries. And this I think is really important. Boundaries are what we tell our kids we will do and they require a kid to do nothing. Get off the couch. It's not a boundary. It's a directive. They may or may not follow it, but that's not a boundary. So when I hear, oh, my kids don't listen to me, right? Oh, it's so frustrating. Well, I'm not actually setting a boundary. It doesn't mean I'm a bad parent, but the boundary isn't there. Hey, you can jump on the floor. And if it's really hard for you to get off the couch, I will come over and I'll pick you up and I'll carry you down and you can jump there. Oh, they're not getting over. I follow through. If your kid's like my kid, They're not going to say thank you for your sturdiness. They're just going to flip out, right? But that's a boundary because I'm telling my kid what I'm doing. I always think about this like, I'm not going to depend on my four-year-old to watch how the day goes. I'm the adult. It's so disempowering, right? So boundaries are decisions. Boundaries are what we say we will do. And I really think boundaries answer one of kids' two key questions in life. And that question is, am I safe? Am I safe physically and emotionally. Because let's say it's not jumping on the couch, but it's, I don't know, it's hitting, right? And if I say, I'm not going to let you hit your sister, but then I feel like tantrums coming and I don't stop the second hit, my kid's like, wow, I'm not safe. Forget my sister. I'm out of control. My mom, my dad is watching me do something. Mm. And they're more scared of my tantrum than helping me stay safe in this situation. Wow, I must be really bad and explosive and poisonous and dangerous to the people around me. So boundaries teach kids you are safe. Boundaries, I think, happen to go in a really lovely way, hand in hand with validation and empathy. Because if I said to my kid, I'm not going to let you hit your sister, and then followed up with separating the two of them or maybe even holding their wrist, right? I then want to say to my kid, oh, I know you really wanted that block. Oh, sharing's the worst. Or maybe I'd say, oh, you're having a really hard time. I'm going to sit with you. We're going to get through together. Or I'd say, you're a good kid having a hard time while I maintain my boundary. I would say that while I'm physically blocking my kid from doing what he's probably trying to do, smack his sister again just because he's so out of control. I'm one of those people who like to eat first thing in the morning. But sometimes between meditation and school drop-off, I really don't have a chance to eat. I'm kind of making my coffee. I'm getting my kids' lunch together. And I need to just grab something on the go. I literally did this this morning. So I go into the fridge and I reach for my Perfect Bar. If you're a frequent listener of the show, you've heard me rave about Perfect Bar. Perfect Bars are fresh from the fridge protein bars that are packed with protein. 
which is something that is super important for me these days. Perfect bars taste incredible. They have this cookie dough-like texture, not chalky like other bars. They're unlike any bars out there, and sometimes I even eat a snack-sized bar for dessert. They're made with freshly ground peanut butter and organic honey and 20 organic superfoods. Perfect Bar has protein bars and little snack-sized bars, too, that are all so good and they're good for you. Perfect Bar contains up to 17 grams of whole food protein, people. That's a lot of protein, and I need it. Plus, they have 10-plus delicious flavors like coconut peanut butter and salted caramel. And I've been loving the dark chocolate chip peanut butter. It's really satisfying if I want something sweet. Perfect Bar knows it will be love at first bite. So for a limited time, they're offering you a chance to try their refrigerated protein bars for free. Here's how it works. Sign up for email or text and upload a picture of your receipt from your local grocery store, and they'll reimburse you for the cost of one bar directly to your Venmo or PayPal account. Pretty cool, right? All you have to do is go to perfectsnacks.com Gabby to get a free Perfect Bar today. That's perfectsnacks.com Gabby to get a free Perfect Bar today. Happy snacking. Validation and empathy is the process of seeing your kids' feelings as real and important. And I really think those two parts of our job answers the other question kids have and what they're really processing interactions through. And this one always makes me tear. It's kids asking us, am I real? Am I real? Are the things inside me that feel so intense, that give me a signal of what I want and what I like, that there's no marker for in the external world. There's no blood test. There's no sign. No one else is feeling this way. If you name it for me, and if you see the unseeable, then that lets me know that these things inside me are real. Am I real? And am I safe? And so the way these things go hand in hand, and again, I think it's powerful because so often we think it has to be one or the other. Like I'm in a toy store with my kid. They're crying because they want a toy, even though I told them I'm only there to buy a birthday present for their friend. We've established this, still it happens. It's so easy to be like, what's wrong with you? I've said those things. What's wrong with you? We said we are just getting a toy or you're so spoiled or we're not getting a toy today. We're not getting a toy. I guess it's a form of a boundary, even though it wouldn't be like my most shining moment if you guys all saw me at the store saying that, but okay. But validation and empathy are really important there because if I said instead to my kid, I'm not going to get a toy today. I know, going into a toy store and not getting a toy for yourself is so hard. Maybe even you're allowed to want that. I don't know. I'm going to take a picture of it. I don't know how many of you take pictures of things and just delete them the next day, but I'm going to take a picture of that. I know you really want that. I'm not saying I know you really want that and bringing the toy to checkout. No, I'm holding my boundary because if I ever want my kid to manage frustration, I better show my kid that I can handle their frustration. Our kids mm. can never learn to regulate a feeling that their parents haven't tolerated in them. Never, ever, ever, because what a kid learns is this feeling that feels so overwhelming to me, it's literally exploding out of my body. Wow, it's enough to make my parent make a different decision. They said no to me, and there's no problem with changing your mind. But if I'm changing my mind because of my kid's feelings, then what my kid really learns is this feeling is really as toxic and bad and overwhelming as it feels to me. And that is so, so scary. Then the tantrums get worse, not because we're inconsistent, but because a kid has actually internalized our fear of their feeling next to their feeling, that can really spiral. So those boundaries 
They keep our kids safe because they show them that we can tolerate the things that they have not yet learned to tolerate. While the validation and empathy shows them that the things inside you are real, they're valuable, and they matter. I absolutely love what you just said as it relates to the fact that if we can tolerate their big emotions, there's no shame in them. This gives them the freedom to say, okay, I'm good inside. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm good I'm inside. Not, even, I'm not scary inside. Yes, yeah. even with this feeling. Yeah, yes. because mommy can handle that. Yes. Wowza. Okay. <laughs> oh, and can time. I say one more thing about that? Because yeah. if we fast forward, right? One of the things I think about a lot is like my kids in my home for like years, right? And then hopefully after that, they're out of my home living in the world for like many, many, many more years. So the early years are so hard. And the early years are the most amazing opportunity we have because every parent I know, they really care how their kids function and feel and operate in the world from 18 up. So what I know is that from age 18 and above, our kids are going to feel all the feelings, right? I always laugh with colleagues. None of us have ever had adults come to our practice and just been like, I had the best parents. They were amazing. And they got out all the disappointment and jealousy and anger. And like, I don't know what other people are doing out there, but I never feel those feelings. No, every feeling our kids feel today, our kids will feel when they're adults, but we know the stakes are higher when you feel them. Because now you're not at soccer practice, you're in a work meeting. Now you're not just playing with your sibling with a block. You're managing a new work relationship. Stakes get higher. So the feelings remain. And what I do think I've seen a lot of in my private practice is adults, they never say this, but they're like, I am now 30. I am now 50. And I basically have the same coping skills for jealousy and frustration and disappointment and sadness as I did when I was two. And it is never too late. I really mean this. I've seen that in my practice. It's amazing how able the brain and the body are to rewire. We all know it's hard work. It's expensive, you know, <laughs> right? It is. And the idea that if my kid learns to tolerate coping skills for feelings by going through the tunnel of that feeling, then there's this almost good feeling we can give ourselves when our kid's in that moment. Because nobody loves doing a puzzle with their three-year-old and their three-year-old melting down because they can't figure out the puzzle piece. Nobody loves that. But it does shift if you say to yourself, my kid's going to be frustrated about things for the rest of their life. And like, I have a massive opportunity right now. Because if I can just take a deep breath and if I can share words like, oh, it's so hard. And I know if we take a little break, we can come back to it. And I just know you're going to figure it out. My kid literally in their body wires in their circuitry frustration next to calm, maybe even frustration next to confidence and hope. They take my hope and that gets wired next to their frustration. And if I think about a moment where I'm going to actually have a lot of bang for my buck with my kid. It's not a pleasant moment, right? It's not. But it's really impactful, especially for those of us. And like, we have really busy schedules and we're doing a million things or we're working and we have that five minutes with our kids. And most people I know are like, I have five minutes with my kids. I don't want the meltdown. So I just do that 
thing to avoid it. There's something to almost do a 180 on. Wait, I have five minutes. I hope my kid has a meltdown because if they do, I am getting days worth of time with them in those moments. And that has really helped me with my kids because I'm like, this is my moment. My kid's not going to thank me. They never do. They never do. They never do. They never say, I'm going to remember this years from now and you're going to help me. No, but you can know it because I think we really know that inside and that's massive. Hmm. I, this is going to annoy you a little bit, but if you had to choose one method that you were only going to teach for the rest of your career, oh, God bless you. She's got so many, she would lose her mind. But one good inside method that is the method, the only thing that mm. you are going to offer people for the rest of your career, life, whatever, what would it be? It's true. I hate being backed into a one thing corner, but this I one know. is easy. There must be something to that without a doubt. Ah, good. Repair. So if we're going to get really good at a strategy and we're like, I only have it in me to get really good at one strategy because that's really all we have it in us to do. It's hard. It would be repair. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And there's actually such a nuance there that I find so relieving as a parent. And that, wait, if I'm going to get really good at repair, then I like have to keep messing up because I can't practice repair if I haven't yelled at my kid. So yes, yes, you do, right? Kids, first of all, would not benefit in the long term from a perfect parent. They wouldn't. It doesn't exist, so it almost doesn't matter. But they wouldn't because if their earliest attachments with us form their circuitry for how they go about the world and then what they expect from others and definitely the type of partners they end up being attracted to later on, I don't think any of us want a kid who goes into the adult world thinking, where is that partner who is perfectly attuned to my needs, who always knows what to say, who's perfect for me all the time, right? That wouldn't be realistic. I would never wish that on my kids. But the reason repair is so important, our kids absorb everything that happens. Everything registers in their body. For us too, our body today is the same body that was born. We only have one. And so we have a long history of events that have happened that we might not remember up here, but we all remember in our body. And so when people say things like, kids don't even remember the first couple of years of their life, it's interesting to me. We don't remember it from the limited version of memory as defined by a verbal story that we can retell. But we actually only even have verbal stories for things that happened to us that someone actually explained to us in a coherent way. Most people I know would say the hardest things that happened were actually hard because no one actually was there for them in a supportive way. But still, in those early years, our kids store everything in their body. And if we all think about our triggers, that's memories from our past living in our future. I always remember a parent I used to work with said, I don't remember anything. Forget before age three. I don't remember anything before age 10. You ask, like, how did my parents respond to tantrums? I don't know. I think it must have been okay. I don't know. This is a parent who could not tolerate. I mean, as soon as the kid was tantruming, that parent turned into a version of themselves that they didn't want to be. I remember saying, I know everything about what happened, not because your parents are bad parents. Without a doubt, they were doing the best they could with the resources they had. But watch what happens. Our bodies don't lie. Our body, in our trigger moments, are fully in a memory state. They live it out. And so how does that relate to repair? Well, our kids are expert perceivers and absorbers of everything around them. They have to be because they're helpless as animals. So their survival depends on, ooh, what is that? What is that? And from an evolutionary standpoint, kids have to assume changes in their environment, things that happen are threats. They have to be like, that's a 
tiger in the forest before a parent is like, whoa, whoa, I checked it out. It's actually a squirrel. You're safe. We have to do that. And so they also notice more. They're hypervigilant because of their helplessness. So fast forward to now, right? We're no longer living in the forest with lions. But now, let's say I yell at my kid. I say something I really don't want to say. I call them a name. I yell. They end up going to their room. They come out an hour later. They don't even say anything. Seems like everything's fine. And I know parents are like, but why would I bring it up again? They seem fine. We have to respect our kids enough to know that that happened. And we want our kids to store the events that happen in their life. None of us want kids who blindly go about the world not recognizing things around them. No. So now that lives in them. And kids do one of two things when uncomfortable, scary things happen in their environment without an adult around to explain them. They only have two coping mechanisms at their own disposal. One is self-doubt. Did that really happen? If that really happened, someone would have come to talk to me about it. I don't know if I can trust myself. Fast forward to adulthood. And if we wonder why so many of us adults, oh, would that person have reacted the way I reacted? Did I overreact? Let me ask everyone what I should do. That is the legacy of self-doubt living on in adulthood. And the other things kids do is self-blame. Because at least if it's all my fault, at least if I'm just a bad kid, at least I can preserve the idea that my parents, who are my world, are good. And they will always choose that. They have to, because that gives them control. And if we want to know why in adulthood, so many of us, when we struggle, immediately layer on blame, same thing. Self-doubt and self-blame. I don't know any adult who wants to wire their kids with those two coping mechanisms. Most of the people I know, me included, are working very hard to rewire away from those because they don't help us in adulthood. So, How does that relate to repair? If my kid is storing, oh, I was yelled at, my mom said this thing, and oh, I must be bad, or wait, did that really happen? Here's what happens with repair. Even if it's a week later, even if it's years later, I go back to that moment in my kid's body, and I do bring it up. People are like, why would I want to bring it up? Like, no, 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 that's exactly what you want to do. You get to reopen the file. You get to go to that part of the chapter, right? And you open it, and the ending was feeling scared, feeling alone, feeling self-blaming, feeling self-doubting, feeling overwhelmed. I get to go to that moment and add in all the elements that I wish were there in the first place, I get to add in connection and compassion and understanding. Like, what an amazing opportunity. Repairs really allow us to change the ending of the story. They actually allow us to change how memory is stored in the body. I remember a supervisor once said that to me about therapy. Therapy is the process of changing your own memories. And I was like, whoa, that's some inception you know, happening. I was like, I need to process that. But it is because when we go back to our own stuff and process it in a different way and form coherence from something that was incoherent with someone who we feel like isn't judging us, who's just present, the way the memory then is stored in our body is changed. And so we aren't triggered in the same way. We actually show up differently. We got one more level of concrete. Repairs are usually some version of naming what happened taking responsibility. I say that because sometimes our kids, like it's easy to be like, if you just listened to me the first time, I wouldn't have yelled. Not a repair, (laughs) right? It just doesn't count. A repair is some version of this. It's, hey, you know what I'm thinking about? Yesterday I yelled at you. And I was really stressed. That was me having a hard time dealing with my emotions. And just like we talk about you learning how to deal with your feelings, guess what? I'm still learning that too. And this is a good line. It is never your fault when I yell. Now, look, is there another conversation later? Hey, it's never your fault when I yell. And 
the mornings are really tricky. And I don't think either of us want them to go the way they're going. So let's think about things we can do to just make the morning slower. 100%. But I think we all know from different relationships we've had, our parents, our partners, that if we really feel like something felt bad and in the moment of a repair, the person also layers on, hey, but it's gone. And so what a repair does is it takes away the self-blame. It takes away self-doubt. And it actually deepens your connection with your kid. And it sets them on a course of not having those coping mechanisms. And so if there's one thing you do after tonight, some version of a repair, and it can be, hey, I know this thing happened last week. There's no time factor here. I would say that's the one thing I would teach parents all day long. And it's the one thing I'd encourage them to actually put into action. Love a repair. Do it with your husbands too. (laughs) Or partners, whoever they may be. Thank you for spending your night with me. Thank you for all of your support. And you all really mean so much to me. You're part of such a bigger movement. It's about so much more than parenting. And I hope when you leave here, you just give yourself credit for this time Mm. and for all that you're obviously all doing so right. So thank you. Beautiful. If you made it to the end of this episode, that means you're truly committed to miracles. I'm really proud of you. If you want to get more Gabby, tune in every Monday for a new episode. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the guidance or special bonus episodes. Your experience at this show means a lot to me. So I really want to welcome you to leave an honest review. And you can follow me on social media at Gabby Bernstein. And if you want to get in on the action, sign up for a chance to be Dear Gabby live at DearGabby.com. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.